Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. So we had a lot of questions come in. Uh, we'll get through as many as we can. Uh, I know we'll have, we already have a couple questions uh, in the chat as well. Uh, but just sort of an intro here. Uh, Scott Jashik is the editor and one of three founders of Inside Higher Ed, along with Doug Lederman. He leads the editorial operations uh, of Inside Higher Ed, overseeing the news, content, opinion pieces, career advice, blogs, and other features. Uh, I'm sure anyone who's been reading Inside Higher Ed for years, well, I hope you're like me and you look at the authorship and and uh, you know, appreciate the hard work that goes into that. Uh, Scott's a leading voice in higher ed issues. He's quoted regularly in Nashville pub- publications, uh, and I'm just really appreciative of his time today to talk through some of the results uh, from a 2021 survey uh, of, of admissions leaders and what we're seeing going forward here. Sure. A few things that always come up. I just wanna cover a few housekeeping. Yes, this is being recorded. Uh, we'll put the recording up tomorrow. You'll get a copy of it as well. Uh, we also always have an audio version in the Enrollment Insights podcast. So if you'd rather listen to this on the go, uh, you can go ahead and do that as well. All right. So two big storylines that Scott is watching. I want to get your take on on two things here. First one I've teed up uh, that, that you had mentioned, affirmative action admissions. It's been a busy news week in general. Yes. Uh, and this is one of those. Um, so uh, on Monday, the Supreme Court said it was going to take the Harvard and University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill affirmative action cases. This is big. Um, the Supreme Court hasn't handled um, higher ed admissions since uh, 2016. And, um, and most important, the Supreme Court is quite different than it was in 2016. Um, all those uh, Trump justices have created a much more conservative court. Um, and you know some of the, the justices who preserved affirmative action as an option for colleges uh, are gone. Justice Kennedy, for instance, is, is, is not on the court anymore. And so this creates a huge challenge for colleges. One thing I wanna say is that this will affect just about every college. Even if you don't have an admissions uh, competitiveness level like Harvard or UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, affirmative action also applies to financial aid, and it also applies to any special programs you have. A summer program for uh, Latino women would would be affected by this, and so this is going to affect everyone. Um, and you know, when we did our survey, we found not that many people were worried about it i suspect that number is way up now yeah it, it's a little easier when you don't know if they'll take it up i guess yeah. <laughs> are, are there are there things that you're hearing about people sort of proactively taking some steps now to get ahead of this or well uh, a few things one is uh, the higher ed establishment is very much in favor of affirmative action they view it as a part of academic freedom that they need to pick who uh who gets in um, and they strongly deny any discrimination against Asian groups, Asian students, which is the issue in the Harvard case, or white students. 
Um, but uh, so what are they doing? They are organizing right now a bunch of amicus briefs, which is uh, a brief defending one or the other position in the Supreme Court. Um, and then the really tricky thing, I think, is they need to prepare for the possibility they may lose. Um, I think they're going to lose. And if they lose, how they recruit minority students is going to be a huge focus of attention. Um, the irony is Harvard can probably do it because Harvard's Harvard. And, you know, who, you know, so they will get the best students uh, as they typically do. It's really for everyone who's not Harvard that I see this having a potentially big impact. In uh, previous times that uh, a state banned affirmative action, California and in Michigan, the, um, the Asian student enrollment didn't go way up. The white enrollment went up, but the black and Latino students were, were truly crushed in the immediate aftermath of Prop 209 in California and an amendment in Michigan. This is very serious stuff. Uh, the second big one that, you know, you see a lot of, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people are on the NACAC exchange. Uh, this has been a hot topic there as well. Big changes of the SAT. Yeah, the SAT is going to be all digital in 2024 in the U.S. and in 2023 internationally. Um, and it's also going to get shorter. Uh, they're giving different kinds of questions, doing different things. Um, and this as well, there's a lot of debate over. Um you know, most people think that the digital makes perfect sense. Um, it's how students generally uh, are used to working these days. And, you know, the idea of a paper and pencil exam is actually, that's kind of shocking to most students who would be the age group to take the SAT. Um, but the critics of the SAT say this is just more of the same and that it's not really a fundamentally new test. Uh, so they're going to continue to to uh, talk about that. Um, and that happened on Tuesday. So it's uh, been quite a news week uh, in admissions. Yeah. And, and it's only Thursday. So there's plenty yeah. to come. <laughs> Actually, today, I'll give you today's news. The Coalition for College, which formed as a competitor to the Common App a few years ago, announced that they're going to redevelop their application. So uh, that's a bit of news from today. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, with, with so many, now the majority of colleges test optional and test blind, how much of a difference do you think this makes? Is it is it the proverbial shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic? Is it something that would yeah. make colleges reconsider? You know, I have yet to see evidence that it's going to make colleges reconsider. Um, Cal State University system yesterday voted in a committee of their trustees voted to go test blind um, uh, with this. And test blind, it's very important. In test optional, you can still take the SAT and submit your scores. Test blind, they're not even looking at the scores. Um, you know, that is huge. If they do go test blind, potential, you can apply to any public college in California, a huge state, without mm -hmm. the ACT or SAT. Yeah, and I don't know that many people's uh, issue with, with the test was that it wasn't digital. So it's yeah, yeah. I mean, not really addressing that. Yes, I mean you're you're totally right there. The critics 
um, are much more focused on the fact that white students and Asian students do better and wealthy students do better. And nothing they've been able to come up with has fixed that. No. Okay, let's get into audience questions. We had a lot submitted in advance, so I, I put them in here. So if you're watching this live, you'll be able to see the question up here. Um, first up here, with con the continued concern about making the class. That's something that enrollment managers are always concerned about. We had 91% in the survey who said they were concerned. What can colleges do to better position themselves to achieve the goals? And then how much of that do you attribute, how much of this concern do you attribute to just delayed decision-making from students? Uh, yeah. And how much of that is sort of an unrealistic expectation? You know, numbers are dropping of iSchool grads, so we want to grow our class 50%. Yeah. Um, I want to answer yes to every question there. Um, <laughs> I, and, and let me just talk about a few of them. Um, realistic expectations is so important. Um, and, you know, you've got lots of colleges that are very different in, in you know, who, who are here today. And I'm not, I don't want to pick on any college, but the reality is, if you've got lots of colleges, you probably have some colleges that admit most of their students. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Um, and you also have colleges that, uh, that admit a subset of their applicants. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, but colleges feel, the, the admissions directors feel intense pressure to justify their existence and to justify the way they operate by you know saying oh we've got some amazing plan to that's really going to increase um you know the last year obviously was the pandemic and who knows what's going to happen this year i suspect i'm talking to a lot of people in your homes and not in your offices as a result um but um the you know even if the pandemic truly goes away in a month and i don't really believe it will but even if it does we can dream yeah, yeah, we can dream. It's a good to have nice, nice dreams. But you know, that certainly hurt. You know, the the, the pandemic hurt colleges. But the big issue is the um, unrealistic expectations. Look, if you are really serious about recruiting more students, you have to be really serious about recruiting older students, uh, minority students. Um, students who you haven't been recruiting successfully thus far. And to be honest, I don't see a ton of colleges making that choice. So, um, you know, it's a great choice to make, but then let's say older students. If you want older students, what does your website say about recruiting older students? Is every student in that picture, in the pictures that are on the homepage, 17 or 18 years old? Um, it's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, is is all your are all your ma materials promoting fraternity life or intercollegiate athletics? It may not work. So um, that's you know. So that's why I answer yes to every question asked. There. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up, you know, we've seen a rise in deferments and wait lists. Uh, do you have thoughts on how to help students manage these trends? So thinking from their side, yeah, what are they to make of this? So they complain about it terribly. They say it's it, it's unfair. I should have been admitted. Um, mm -hmm. They want they want to get in. Um, and the the thing that bothers me about deferments and waitlists is not that they exist. 
I think there's a legitimate reason for colleges to have a small wait list um, uh, and to defer some students who applied uh, to get an early uh, for a rate consideration later. But the problem is that there are a lot of colleges and universities that admit as many students as they put on the wait list. And there is just no way they're going to get to those students. And so I would say to colleges, you know, be honest. One, tell them how many are on the wait list. Don't just say, we're putting you on a special wait list. Say, we, we've put you on a wait list, and these are how many others are on the wait list. And the last time we let in more than five students from the wait list was 2002. And, you know, just give the students a real, uh, real information so that they can manage their expectations. Then for students, the, the, they can make a choice. And it, for many students, it's a very good choice if the place that let them in is a good place for them. Take your name off the wait list. You know, um, I, I think spending from May 1st to August 1st dreaming about a college you're not going to get into isn't good. Um, and so I'm not saying it never works, uh, but particularly with competitive colleges, it rarely works. How are colleges adapting? So how are you seeing colleges adapt to supporting first-generation students who might be hesitant about starting college right now with just so much uncertainty and, and parts of the country just outright hostility towards education? That's a very good question because, look, it is very hard for any of us, uh, you know, an educator, a journalist, a, let a, you know, let a, or a student who's not first generation, to be excited about education when you see the things that are being said about education. It's very discouraging. Um, I think the important thing for colleges to do is to speak out. You know, it's not worth directly engaging some of the more hostile players in this. But when somebody is saying something hostile about your college, answer them. Say, look, we are doing X, Y, and Z, and here's why we're doing X, Y, and Z, and we're proud of it. Um, I think colleges run and hide too much, and I, I think it, it hurts them and their students. Taking a stand is, is yes. there's something to be said there. You know, there were predictions early on that community colleges would see a boost like they did back in 2008, but that just didn't seem to happen. Uh, you know, does that change now in 2022? And ultimately, what does this mean for transfer pipelines? Uh, the community college enrollments are the worst enrollments in higher education right now. Um, I don't know how many, if we have community college people listening, but the um, my my heart really goes out to them because community college enrollments did not see a drop in enrollment last year and this year because they're bad or they're not, they're not trying hard. Um, they're, they're seeing it because many community college students had to put their top priority on making money, on getting a job. And even though a, enrolling at a community college helps them keep their jobs, helps them be better, um, they, they dropped out. And, and the numbers, I think community college enrollment is down about 16% over two years. That is shocking 
uh, when you consider regular enrollment. And the appropriations for community colleges are mostly enrollment-based. So they're, they're getting a double whammy here. Um, I think it's very important for all of public higher education, including the four-year sector, to defend community colleges right now. Because if they, if they go into cut mode, they're not gonna have the resources to truly um, excel and to attract more students. Uh, community college students, um, some community college students maybe have gone to the for-profit sector, but that most of the community college students who aren't enrolling are just not going to college. That is terrible. And then for transfer pipelines, my gosh, it's, it's really terrible because they will not be around to transfer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just at a, at a time that many uh, four-year colleges are taking transfer seriously. So that is a very good question, a very important issue. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, you know, if you're just trying to get by and it's hard to invest in your future by taking classes, and if you drive down the street, there's a, you know, taking my kids to, to daycare and things like that. I see a Taco Bell that's offering $15 an hour and, and yeah. benefits. Yeah. Hey, if I'm trying to put food on the table and keep rent going, it's hard yeah. to justify, I guess. And, and that's very important to say because uh, there are so many service jobs like Taco Bell that are in active hiring mode and that mm -hmm. are paying a little more than they did in the past. And it's great that they're paying more than they did in the past, but they, they there's the potential of, of really luring students away from higher education uh, and I think it, it's it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you have to survive, you're thinking short term, not long term. And you know, it's, it's there has to be something there, but it's it takes everybody. It's not just a community yeah. college answer either. And just curious, we had a lot of people actually. There's a number of community college folks here. Uh, what other trends and thoughts do you have about community colleges? We had about three or four people ask that. So the community colleges, um, I mean, are mainly focused, in my opinion, on this getting their enrollment back. They've got to get enrollment back um, or they're really gonna be hurt uh, in the appropriations process. Beyond that, they're, they're trying to do the good things that they do, have excellent programs with job training and you know, what, for what, you know, for health professions, for uh, associate degree nursing, um, they, though, these are great programs. Associate degree nursing programs are like the miracles of higher education because they take students who enter frequently in the lower classes and they graduate them to the middle class. That, that is such a great thing. But um, many community colleges are, are struggling because they can't, they don't have the access to the hospitals to expand those programs. But many community colleges are, are trying to work with local businesses and industry to create programs that will create jobs, um, which makes perfect sense. Um, I, they, they, but community colleges need money and they're not necessarily getting that. Yeah. Uh, what trends are you seeing? This was another one we actually had multiple times. What trends are you seeing for graduate students, for adult learners, uh, the, these we're seeing two very specialized populations that yes. a lot of curiosity. So for, I'll start with adult learners. Um, there are colleges that very much want them and that's great. Um, I, and that is not just the for-profit sector, but is a lot of nonprofits that really care 
about adult learners. They are experimenting with new ways to offer their programs in short-term, long-term, what, you know, whatever they want. Um, it is a good time to be an adult learner, but they, sh they do need to, to look at their options, uh, particularly if you're an adult learner who is willing to study online. There mm -hmm. are great options, but really compare all of them. Ask questions about graduation rates, about employment rates. You should be able to get this information, and if not, you should look at another place. For graduate students, as well, um, this is a good time to go to graduate school if you have the money to do so. And, and you know, I'm sorry to raise that issue, but um, but it's really important for them. I worry that there are going to be some grad students who started a graduate program last year, this year, and are graduating with a lot of debt, and and that's not good for them. So I would um, you know encourage them but make sure you are offering money to support them. I'm curious now too, we have all of these college students who experienced emergency online learning. And while yes, it was online learning, it wasn't a dedicated program. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see how they approach and feel about an online grad program because they yeah. haven't experienced a true online. That's absolutely right. And just in general, it's a big issue in higher ed right now um, because Look, the online that was offered last spring was like emergency online. It wasn't truly prepared as online. And it's great that the colleges were able to do something quickly, that many faculty members did something quickly, but that's not good online education. Um, and, and, and I hope that adult learners will not judge uh, their options just by that. Um, now, as, as the pandemic went on, a lot of instructors became better at it, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But um, it's truly different. It's not just a matter of recording what you say on a video. Yeah. Yep. You can't just, it's not a one-to-one -one conversion at all, is it? Yep. Oh. So in our niche surveys over the last year, students were saying they were more likely to apply to colleges that they had already heard of in lieu of taking visits and, and going to college fairs and things. So how do you see that changing in 2022? Are we getting away from this brand be all? Uh, are we seeing a better job of colleges doing nurturing of students from earlier ages to stay top of mind? What's the direction there? Well, you know, I would have answered this question differently six weeks ago uh, because with Omicron forced a lot of colleges to shut down again, um, at least temporarily. So um, colleges, are really get, are better, much better than they were at the beginning of the pandemic, at um, at at video to nurture to reach students. Um, mm -hmm. Many colleges have you know totally virtual tours, other things like that that will even you know whether the students like it or not are an option to see the college, um, and that is the main thing. Now I'm very curious. Will the all the campuses that are going back like Monday or a week from Monday, um, and many are reopening uh, for for admissions visits too? I'm curious to see if the students will come, um, uh, because you know that's the thing with with Omicron. You you had you know just being near somebody, and you could be vaccinated yourself, 
um, and you're still at risk of getting getting COVID. So I don't know what the behavior will be like. Um, but what I heard from last year's experience, the colleges that o- that were open on campus to visitors did very well by comparison to those that were not. Um, and there's a very strong push for colleges to be open from admissions, uh, you know, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's safe, but you just yeah yeah you balance. just don't know. Yeah. And this ties in nicely, actually. There was a question that a college was seeing attendance rates for both virtual and in-person had decreased. Uh, you know, is that something that you think we'll keep seeing or is it people will bounce back and want to visit five, ten colleges because they haven't? Yeah. You know, it's hard to say because when, ta- you're, when talking about COVID fatigue and a high school student, how does a high school student act? Um, you know, it's somebody who was 16 or 17 when the pandemic started. Are they just so anxious for real exposure to colleges that they will take a little risk and go to colleges, or are they burned out? Um, I, I worry, again, about this decreasing uh, visits, uh, virtual and in person, because most colleges say their best, um, th- their best students who they admit and will enroll are students who visited. Um, it just sort of seals the deal with them. Uh, and I really hope that the rest of this spring will be better than January was. Yeah. And they're certainly hearing some mixed messages with some states saying that all students should be in the classroom with no masks on, yeah. and <laughs> others taking precautions, and some schools virtual. And, yeah. you know, if I'm if I'm 16, that's hard to parse out what to what yeah. to think. Definitely. You know, keeping with testing policies here, uh, there were a number of, of flavors of questions here, so I've consolidated into a few. But with testing policies just being a battleground, you know, most colleges are no longer requiring them. Most students are confused about what that necessarily means, what's test optional, what's test blind. You know, there's misinformation. Uh, we've had some surveys where students are being told by counselors and others and parents that they should take them and submit them, even if that school is test optional or test blind. How do colleges push back? And again, standing up and advocating yes. to clarify what these policies mean. So first of all, a college should just say very clearly what its policy is, whether they're requiring tests, whether they're test optional or test blind it should be very clear to a potential student. And on test optional, test blind, explain what that means. Um, You know, there are some colleges that went test optional, well, only for students who really tried to take the SAT or ACT, Mm -hmm. but couldn't. Um, And now this year, I, I, I don't believe that will be a serious problem. I think students who want to can take the test. Um, but say what test optional means. Um, and, and in most cases, what colleges say it means is that a student is not at a disadvantage. Say that very clearly. Always say that very clearly. Um, now, in terms of telling students whether to submit scores or not, so let's say you're a test optional college and a potential student comes to you uh, having taken the SAT or ACT, and scored very high, higher than your average student. Well, I mean, I think it's, they will probably submit a score. 
Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, and, and you should talk about that. But um, you need to make it clear that they don't need to if they don't want to. And what's interesting is in California, where we may soon have all of the public colleges not requiring uh, or not even being willing to look at an SAT or ACT score, you may have a lot of students who simply don't take the test anymore, which is a big change. Yeah, yeah. and that's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch the testing numbers and look at state-by-state -state breakdowns now too. Yep. Uh, do you have a sense of how many colleges that went, you know, permanently test optional or blind versus just temporarily? And and temporarily, I keep hearing, well, that's one year, that's two years, that's three yeah, years, that's yeah. temporarily for 10 years, so. <laughs> yes, I think that's actually the trick of what you just said, Will. Some colleges want to be test optional, but maybe a trustee doesn't want them to be or some faculty member. And so many colleges are going test optional for multiple years. I just wrote a story saying that I believe test optional is the new normal. Um, mm -hmm. And that colleges are just adjusting to that. Test blind is more of a minority, but the University of California, and now soon I expect Cal State, um, when Cal State votes, that will make California a test blind state in the public side. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and change those numbers significantly. But right now, a majority of colleges are gonna be test optional or test blind this year, not just last year, but this year. Um, and I think that's significant, again, because most students who wanna take the SAT could take the SAT this year. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see too what all the California privates do. You know, That yes. almost forces you to be test blind as well, right? Yes, and a number of them are going test blind um, uh, as a result. Yeah. Okay. This was one that honestly I hadn't heard of before, but want to see your thoughts. Uh, there was some concern that test optional can create barriers for marginalized students compared to going test blind. Uh, is that something you've you've heard about? That's that was a new one for me. Um, I have heard about it. I'm not sure if it's widely believed or if it's true. If a college is test optional and truly is test optional, and I mean truly, you know, doesn't care, I don't see it as a barrier. Um, a barrier would be if they are not telling the truth that they're really test preferred um, mm -hmm. and you can still apply. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of test blind and the admission staff, how, what to be vigilant, the question is, how do you use the applications that submit a test score? Um, uh, and those that have a, you know, have a reason for doing it um, may do so. I want to say something else here that's very important uh, for colleges that are not in the upper ranks of, of competitiveness. That's most colleges. Um, most colleges, in my, you know, in the opinion of many people, just don't need the test score to make a decision. So, you know, why? Yeah, as, as someone who used to work at a college like that and went test optional in 16 because we weren't allowed to say blind, you know, it's, <laughs> you know it, it offered nothing to predict yeah. this. So make it easy, go blind, we're all good. <laughs>
Uh, this was a, a pretty specific one. Have you seen options, any, any signs pointing towards North Carolina public colleges moving towards test optional admissions? So I'll talk about North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida are three states. Florida, I do not see much progress. Um, in the other, they have other issues right now working on, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, but it'll it'll be um, a big fight, I think, in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, in North Carolina, I, I'm not sure uh, what this what university they're they're referring to. Um, but here's here's the the problem is when you have a member of board of trustees who really wants to require the tests, they're they are keeping the tests as a result. But I wouldn't, um, I, it depends if you think short-term or long-term. Long-term, I suspect that it will move ahead in North Carolina, but perhaps a little slower than it is elsewhere. Okay. Are we seeing a return in interest from international schools, from international students, I should say? Uh, uh, this asker personally referenced large increases from African countries and Sri Lanka. So we are seeing interest, lots of interest, but I'm not sure if the interest will be matched with enrollment. Mm -hmm. uh, American colleges also, and, and it's two-way interest, the American colleges desperately want more international students. Um, you know, the, the loss of international students was a serious loss to these institutions because international students aren't just educated themselves, they are a part of the education of students from the United States and mm -hmm. you know, to, you know to, to learn with them. Um, and so we are seeing lots of applications, but what will we see on visa approvals and rules on, on travel? Um, and I'm not sure because in part, it will, uh, it will really be what it is this summer. And will there be a new variant coming out of you know whatever country, or mm -hmm. not? Um, I, and I just don't know. Um, the a group of international students who are very highly sought after are international students who are already in the United States. Um, a trend in recent years has been for more international students uh, to enroll at private high schools in the United States, and they and colleges are desperate for them because they don't have the same issues. Yeah. Okay, we had a number of questions come in, um, sticking with with testing in general. And, and just a reminder, if anyone joined a little bit late, uh, you can go ahead and submit your questions in the chat. Uh, we'll get to as many more of these as we can, being respectful of everyone's time. So sticking with the, the testing theme, what advice would you give to students in terms of testing, given all the changing pieces here. So um, I'm, I'm gonna punt a little bit and, um, and say it really depends on the student. Um, you know, do you know if a student, quote, tests well? Uh, do that, you know, is it a student who tests well? Or is it a student who's really smart but can't seem to test well? There are such students too. And, and it's wrong to uh, diminish our expectations for those students. So talk through the issues. Talk with the parents too. It's very important to talk to the parents because many parents uh, are, don't follow these issues as closely as, as you and I do. Um, and so they may be wondering, is it, re mm -hmm. is it real or is it not? 
In general, the trends last year, it was a sharp drop in submitting scores, but slightly more students submitted scores who were going to the most competitive colleges. It's not surprising. Um, but the fact is, any student can apply this year to most colleges with or without a test score. Um, and you need to ask, you know, can you demonstrate that you're really good? Not just, you know, with grades, but with, you know, do they have an art project? Do they have, you know, a, a, can they send a recording of a drama you know, that they were in? Um, I, can they throw a ball? You know, what, what are the various ways they can interest the college in them? Yeah, it's one of those two, I, if I can throw in my two cents here too, if a student has five colleges on their list and four don't require test scores and one does, you know, it's easier to not take a test for one school that is okay. to just say, I've got four other great options here. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, curious to hear more about safety concerns. You know, do we have any clearer info on what students and parents mean when they say that safety is a top concern for them? Sure. So safety is an obvious issue um, at any campus, really. Um, you know, many people assume that safety is mainly an issue at urban campuses, but it comes up at rural campuses too. Parents especially uh, want to feel that their kids are safe. Uh, you know, you can understand why. So you are, you know, looking at a campus on safety issues, and it may well be that in this area, you are presenting more to the parents than the students. Uh, you want to look at, you know, the availability of escort services home from the library or from the library to the dorms uh, late at night. You know, uh, many campuses, the library is open till midnight. And, you know, and that's a late hour for uh, students to walk back. Uh, are there buses, uh, you know, et cetera. As well, look at your crime reports that you are required by federal law to file. Um, what do they say? Um, and, you know, and, and, and are they are they going to raise a question? Um, at the same time, I think those reports may not be entirely um, truthful. Uh, I mean, assuming that they that they are saying what happened, in that um, many um, students, you know, the reality is many crimes don't end up in those reports, and so it's very important to check out the mood on campus. Uh, and and it was again a reason why many students like to visit. Um, that's the kind of thing that you will find uh, discussed in person, and you might not find it um, in a web video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and if I can add in there too, one of the questions we ask on on niche surveys, the fall senior survey, the spring junior survey, we ask about how you measure safety. How do you when you're considering safety? What does that mean to you? physical safety being being the top concern. Uh, but then also you get into, is it a safe place? One of that still a fairly high number of students say that is a consideration. Is it a safe place to ask questions and express differences? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, in terms of that kind of safety, um, you know, you want to think about your policies. Um, you know, in higher education, there's a strong tradition of academic freedom and mm -hmm. support for the First Amendment. Do you do you do those things, um, mm -hmm. or do you frequently uh, cut students off? Um, that matters. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, oftentimes, institutional website, websites are very convoluted. Uh, the, the question asker's words, not necessarily mine, but I'm not going to disagree either. Uh, so even with a good test optional policy that's clear, it's still difficult to find, you know? Do you think that perhaps including test score language in ComFlows or having education series or something going out more proactive would be useful? I think it would, but I'd also challenge the, the people to think about, well, if you have a convoluted test site or uh, website, and you know why? You know, at the beginning of test of, of the test optional movement, many colleges feared being known as test optional. Well, Harvard has just announced it is going to be test optional for the next four years, um, and four of the eight IVs are test optional this year or next year. You know, there are great colleges by any measure that are test optional. Be proud of it. Don't don't uh, don't hide it away. So yes, do those do those uh, techniques as well, but clear up your website would be great. Uh, we have let's see. Uh, so with the 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 question about the barrier of test optional and and the confusion there. Uh, there was one one statement more that someone wanted to point out. You know, maybe that barrier isn't necessarily test scores for those students, but all of the additional application materials needed to submit the, you know, the the essays, the applications, the letters of recommendation. Uh, they're they're mentioning school counselors with four hundred students that they're trying to work with, and then have to also yeah. send three, four, five documents for every college that every student is applying to. There is no doubt that the entire application is a barrier. Uh, look, if you are a low-income student attending a large public school, think about what the ratios are of students to, to teacher and students to guidance counselor. Um, they are huge. And, and so that student needs to truly make an impression um, but that guidance counselor may not be able to write a letter with enough care or have enough time mm -hmm. to write that letter. Um, you know, that, that, is, that is a huge issue. Um, the, the, you know, and writing essays about, you know, why do you wanna to go to college X or why do you wanna study? You know, a lot of students who are not first generation students um, ask their parents um, mm -hmm. they, or their friends, they are in a community where this is a normal thing to do. And so they're talking about it. For many first generation students, that's not, that's not what most students do. And so anything you can do to reach out to those students uh, would help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one person wanted to, to know your comments and thoughts on the University System of Georgia going back to requiring test scores. Um, well, I will just say that the people pointing out that um, that the people on the tests, uh, it's what I said earlier, white students do better, Asian students do better, wealthier students do better. Do you want to, to me, that raises questions about using that. Uh, let's see, given varied GPAs and constantly changing testing policy, I don't know how constantly, but there's just been a lot of notion around it. 
how do you suggest students create a realistic list of colleges? You know, identifying where they are likely to get in, where they really want to go, what's a good fit? So um, I would say that one, the, the, the number of colleges that which students apply has been growing. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Um, I, you know, I think that most students should be able to come up with five or six colleges. And in that group, have one or two maybe that are reach colleges, one that's safety, and three that are sort of, you know, you're probably going to get in. And that should do it for most students. Um, you know, the, the reach colleges, you, you, you know, whatever it is uh, about the college that you like. But when, um, you know, when we, there are stories every year about students who say apply to every Ivy League institution. That's stupid because the IVs aren't the same uh, at all. And what, whichever IV is truly the best one for that student, well, then I can tell you one that probably the student shouldn't apply to. And the same goes for any large group of colleges. So, um, you know, just um, be calm and, and just approach it so that you are, they are constantly thinking about it. Um, and then they can also appreciate the education they're getting as high school seniors. Yeah. I think we have time for probably one more here. Uh, and I think this, I might have an idea here, but uh, they're mentioning that there's a decline in part-time grad school students enrollments, uh, but uh, a, an increase in full-time. Uh, and they're curious if you have thoughts about that. Sure, so it would, um, so I would caution you against interpreting any data of the last year, um, because in general, the trends were the opposite, uh, that more were going part-time than full-time. Uh, and many, for instance, full-time law schools are promoting part-time law school programs and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I would caution against that and, and just ask yourself, what does the, your college or university want to offer? What are you good at? And do that, uh, and I think you'll do well. Yeah. Uh, and also, well, I, just, I want to say thank you so much to the people who waited while we were having our technical problems at the beginning. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I second that. You know, I appreciate everyone is just so flexible now. I think if nothing else, the past two years have taught us that, you know, flexibility and grace is uh, an important thing. So, thank you, Scott, for your time today. Thanks. Bye.